Our reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, in more normal times, it's at this time we, we call children up for a children's homily. We can't really do that today because of our social distance restriction. But I want to, uh, I still brought a few, a, a few things. Not exactly toys today, but this is an egg. Now, in the mystery of the Trinity, a lot of preachers have used the egg as a way to describe it. The egg being three parts, right? There's a yolk, there is a white, and there is the shell. Three parts. Actually, this egg doesn't have a yolk, but it's got some chocolate inside. <laughs> That's right. Come see me after Mass. And so, the egg is something that people have used, but it, it kind of falls short as an understanding of the Trinity because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not the three parts of God. They're each, in and of themselves, fully God. So, not quite right, but it's something. And one of the things that preachers have used is water, right? Because you can take water and you can boil it and make steam, or you can stick it in the freezer and make ice. So water can be ice, it can be water, it can be steam. And that's a good way to understand the Trinity. Actually, I think we're probably getting a little closer. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not the three states of God. They're full, fully and completely God in and of themselves. And then, of course, there is the, the example of us as humans, as people. Because we have a number of facets to us. You know, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm married, all right, I've got children, and so I'm a father to my children. I'm also the son of my own parents. I'm also a, a husband, I have a wife, I'm an American. I'm a priest. I'm a veteran. We have different roles in life. But again, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not the three roles of God. Although in recent times that's been confused well, because people have created this concept of God being the creator, redeemer, sanctifier, kind of reducing God to roles and not to who he is in and of himself. But these are all different ways that we can try to help understand God, the Trinity. And of course, if I were St. Patrick, I would have a shamrock, all right? And say how, you know, three leaves, one shamrock. Yeah, you've seen this before. Yeah, shamrocks are cool. So there are different ways that we can try to describe and understand the Trinity, and each is helpful in its own way. But none is fully exactly what Christ tries to teach us in this understanding of the Trinity. Remember, the concept of the Trinity comes directly from Jesus. It is Jesus who commanded his apostles to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But the church spent some, some time, considerable time, dealing with that concept because it was difficult, especially for a church that grew out of Judaism 
which is very profoundly rooted in the concept there is one God because everybody had the Shema, we call the Shema, memorized, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. But here's something interesting. In the Hebrew language, there are two words to describe one, the number one. Achat and Echod. All right? Memorize that. You'll be tested later. Now, Achat means one in singularity. Echod means one in unity. And we have this same expression in our own language when we talk about husbands and wives. The two become one. The two become one. One in unity. So what Jesus is teaching us in this concept of the Trinity, that God is by his very nature, by his very essence, God is relationship. God is relationship. It was St. Augustine who first came to the understanding, or at least wrote the understanding, that if God is love, God has to be Trinity. Because for love to exist... There must be a lover and the beloved and the spirit of love that binds them together. So for God to be love, he has to be trinity. He has to be relationship. So one of the things that we run into in our lives is that it's so easy to develop what is essentially a pagan understanding of God. God sits on a throne out in out, outer space somewhere. And he plays with us like pawns, like God does things to us. We, get, we feel that way every time something bad happens. Because we say, right, what's God doing to me? Why is God angry with me? Look at what God did. Or look what God allowed. We see him as out there somewhere toying with us. Well, that's a very real understanding that the Greeks had, Zeus and God and the Romans with Jupiter, you know, their, their supreme God. And to them, their supreme God, their supreme being, was someone who was separate, out there. But Jesus is teaching us that God is not like that at all. God is relationship. He exists as relationship within himself, and he exists as relationship with us. God is the lover, the beloved, and love itself. And God invites us into that relationship. Jesus talked about us being branches in a vine. St. Paul writes about us being grafted into the vine. That we become part of Christ. And one of the things you read about and you read St. Paul is again and again and again he is using this phrase in Christ. We exist in Christ. Christ. One of my favorite passages, the first chapter of Ephesians, where he says, God has blessed us with all the spiritual blessings of the heavens in Christ. We are in Christ. And as in Christ, we are invited to participate in the life of God the Son. We are invited into the very life of the Holy Trinity. Not that we become the fourth part of the Trinity, but we are invited to live in Christ. And in fact, in our baptism, we are adopted by, as children of God. 
grafted into Christ, that we live our lives in that relationship of love that is God himself. Understanding God is so key to our lives. One of the prevalences of atheism today is that people do not understand who God is, what God is. They don't understand the nature and the essence of God. They have some concept, a very pagan concept of God, that God is up there on a throne somewhere toying with us, and they you get to a point and say, I don't believe that. There must not be a God. But they true that the God that they don't believe in doesn't exist. But they need to change their understanding, their definition of God, that God is not a supreme being out there in outer space somewhere on a throne, but God is all being. That's what God says to Moses in the first passage that was written where God gives to Moses his name. His name is that unpronounceable name of God that is actually a part of the verb to be. And when about a hundred years prior to Jesus, they're trying to translate the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. And of course, how do you translate an unpronounceable name of God? And so they translated it by its very very definition, which is I am. I am is the name of God. And God goes on to explain what that means. What is, what is I am? And he says, I am mercy. I am compassion. I am kindness. I am faithfulness. That God's essence is his very character, and his very character is summed up by St. John in such a beautiful way when he says, God is love. I was reading a book, jointly reading, read, uh, written excuse me, by the Dalai Lama and uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu from South Africa. It's actually a delightful book, the name of which I cannot at the moment remember. But in this, the Dalai Lama, who is uh, uh, he's a, he's a Buddhist from a sect of Buddhism that has no God, that they're, they call themselves non-theists, not atheists, non-theists. I'm not sure what that distinction is. But in this book, the Dalai Lama makes this statement. He says, I don't believe in God. I'm a non-theist. But what I believe in is compassion. And I've got news for you, Dalai. That is God. God says, I am mercy, compassion, kindness, faithfulness. God is his very nature and character. He is relationship that exists in mercy, compassion, kindness, faithfulness. He is love. And the Holy Trinity brings us to this point to understand that God is completely in unity, in essence, love. That's how he relates to us. We relate, we use this uh, term relationship a lot. Uh, I mean, you know, a lot of preachers want to teach us be in relationship with God, have a relationship with God. And that's a beautiful thing. The scriptures teach us that, the magisterium of the church encourages that. But it, it sometimes is a question, what is a relationship with God? How do you have a relationship with God? What does this mean? Jesus defines our relationship with him as one of marriage. 
that we come to be the bride of Christ, in that we become one with Christ, and in that we become one with God. There's a great story, a great love story in the Old Testament. It's the story of Jacob and Rachel. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. And you can read the whole story in Genesis chapter 42 if you want to. But it, Jacob is on the run. He's gone into a conflict with his brother Esau. And some of us have gone through that issue. We've got some conflicts with our families. And so he's on the run. And he goes to visit an uncle of his whom he's never met. But he knows his uncle exists. He lives up far north up in the old Akkadian Empire. And um, so he's going to go visit his uncle Laban. And on his way there, he meets a shepherd girl. And she is gorgeous. He meets the shepherd girl and he goes, this, 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 this girl's got to be mine. And so, now she's a shepherd girl. She's brought her sheep to, the, to a, a well to give them something to drink. But there's a big stone over the well, which is what they would always do for a, a variety of reasons. And uh, so Jacob, being the strong he-man that he is, he moves the stone away from the well so she can give her uh, sheep uh, some water to drink. And then he can't stand it anymore. He just grabs her and kisses her right there. It's love at first sight. And then he discovers, well, her father is Laban, the uncle that he's going to go see. So... He goes to his uncle and says, I want to marry your daughter. Let me marry your daughter. But now there was a custom in that time to always pay a bride price to the father of the bride. Well, Jacob was broke. He was on the run. Remember, he left his family. He was on the run. He was all by himself. Didn't have any money. So he agrees to work for his uncle for seven years for free as his bride price to pay for this bride. Well, if you read the whole story, there are a few twists and turns like any good story. But in the end, he gets his bride. He marries Rachel and he loves her and cherishes her and dotes on her, really, all the days of his life. God loves us so much more than Jacob loved Rachel. And that really is the relationship God is speaking of. For us to say, I have a relationship with God, really means this, that I am completely and totally in love with God. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that he is totally and completely in love with me. And if that's true, why is it when something bad happens, we start to think, well, why, God must be angry with me. Would we start to punish, be angry with someone who we are totally and completely in love with? No, we would do everything we can to help them, to reach out for them. And that's exactly how God is in relationship with us. It's not that God is hot and cold. He likes us one day and he's angry with us the next. No, he continually pours out his love for us and into us. He's always there to bring us through whatever hard times we go through. Someone asked me just this last week, why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? And I explained to them, 
Good and bad things happen to everybody. <laughs> As we go through life, everybody's going to have their share of good and bad things. So a bad person's going to have his share of good things and his share of bad things, and a good person will have his share of bad things and bad share of good things. It's life. And Jesus did not promise to take us away from that, but he, all, but he did promise to always be with us. That is the relationship of love. That in good and bad times, the one we love is always with us, always there to, to guide us, to help us, to inspire us, and to bring us through. God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit shows us that God is that relationship of love. That is his very nature. One of the great searches of mankind is that search for significance, that search to matter somehow, to be noticed, to, be, to matter to someone. Most of us, as we've gone through our teenage years, and some of us don't want to remember those years, some of those, for some of us, the teenage years were a long time ago. But we did things to try to have some kind of significance. We did things to try to fit into a group, to a crowd. The way we would dress, the way we would talk, we'd watch television and, and pick up little phrases so that we could use those and, and, you know, show that we mattered to somehow. We had some significance within a group. And when you get my age and you look back on those years, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of silliness. Of course, I was a teenager back in the 60s, and there was a lot of silliness back then. But we are significant. You know, the whole thing about us trying to fit into a group, to fit in somewhere, was that we wanted to matter to someone. But we are significant not because we're pretty or smart or rich or strong or handsome. We are significant because we are loved. We are significant because God is infinitely and completely and totally in love with us, infatuated with us. He wants us to be his bride, to be made one with him in that beautiful spiritual union that we have with God. We matter. We matter to God. We are loved, and that is the source of our significance. So on this Trinity Sunday, when we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we think, and us, and us, because God has invited us into a beautiful union with himself by being joined in Christ. We matter because God, who is love, loves us. And that love carries us day to day to day. And as we matter to God, 
we can in that relationship matter to one another, to love and serve one another, to make all of our lives more fruitful, more joyous, and more abundant.